All right, um, I'm actually not really sure how to transition from there. That's kind of a hard act to follow, but I'm gonna try. <laughs> um, how about this? I turned 40 a couple of years, weeks ago. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I had a pretty significant birthday, and um, that, that actually provided a pretty unique opportunity for me to sort of pause and reflect. I'm okay being 40, like I just admitted to a whole big room that I'm 40, so I'm okay with this. But um, it did cause me to, to ponder a little bit about where I've come from and kind of where I'm going. And as I was thinking about our first chapel together in a new semester, I realized that a new semester and even a new year, right, 2020, Two, right? Yikes, 2022. Um, it, it actually provides you all with the same opportunity to sort of pause and take stock of things for a second. Sort of a minute to hold still and consider your priorities and the things that you love, the things that you do. Um, in a sense, who you are becoming. Um, that's what this time can do for us. And so, as I was thinking about this idea of becoming, I was realizing that we don't really emphasize that very much in our culture. I think uh, we tend to emphasize more like the end results. But as believers, I think becoming is probably one of the most important words for us to consider. Um, our entire lived experience, this side of death, is not actually in the arrival, but in the becoming. It is the process that defines the entire lifespan of a Christian and actually of any human, right? We are not creatures who were made to stand still. We are constantly growing or moving or um, changing in some direction. The question is not will you become something, but who are you going to become? Which direction are you going to go? This is an introspective question and probably one that you don't stop to consider that often. I know I don't. It took turning 40 for me to stop for a minute. And in some ways, it's an overwhelming question, maybe one that you are tempted to sort of push aside or like think about later. I think there's a temptation to think of your years here at Covenant as preparation and not necessarily becoming. Because becoming emphasizes the micro everyday decisions that contribute to your character and to your priorities and to the things that you love. Preparation focuses on getting you kind of ready and fitted for a task or a job or a vocation. They're not mutually exclusive, but the emphasis is different. So it might be helpful to think of it this way. Um, when you drive, there are sections of a road that require pretty significant movements, big movements, right? Like when you're going, you're following the curve of a road or you're breaking down a pretty steep hill. Those are the moments when you are very aware of how you are driving or you're in traffic, right? You are paying attention and you notice pretty quickly whether or not you are a good driver or a bad driver. But I grew up in Kansas, all right? And driving out there is much more defined by moments on open and straight roads with no traffic. It's beautiful, all right? And the actions of a driver are not that big. They're not that significant. There are no big curves to follow. There are no steep hills to go down. It's more um, defined by like these micro movements. You know, when you're driving and you have to keep your car straight, you're still doing this. 
right? You're still making these little tiny tweaks here, these little tiny tweaks there to make sure that the car is straight and it's going in the direction you need it to go. I think it's driving, this is a great example for our life because we tend to pay attention to who we are and what we're becoming when those big things hit us in life. But most of life actually consists of micro-movements and little tweaks here and little tweaks there. And those little movements add up to who we become. So, like a driver on an open road, it's important to assess if we need to adjust or slightly tweak our direction. So, for the next few minutes together, I want to invite you to engage in that question, to think about who, are you, who you are becoming, and to ask yourself if there are any minor adjustments, like the ones I'm making on my microphone all the time, any straightening that might need to happen. And while that might feel like an overwhelming question with tons of possibility, I think scripture, the Bible, actually helpfully sort of simplifies it for us. Um, think about this. Proverbs gives us two options. You're either the wise man or you're the foolish person. Okay? The prophets teach us that we are e either faithful to God's covenant in obedience or we are unfaithful to God's covenant in disobedience. Paul talks about being children of light or being children of darkness. There isn't a lot of wiggle room when it comes to our options of becoming. Either we are becoming more like the women and men that God created us to be um, or redeem and redeemed us to be, or we are not. We are either becoming more like Jesus, moving more towards wholeness, or we are not. So how do we know? How can we assess who we are becoming? There are likely um, various ways to tackle this question, but I've been sitting in the book of James for a while, and so we are going to look at what James says about this quickly. <clears throat> so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to James chapter 1. I'm going to read real quickly 26, verses 26 and 27. James says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. <clears throat> I'm sure that this is not a new or unfamiliar passage to you. We've heard it before. All right, it's one that people like to quote a lot. Um, but I actually think it's a good place for us to pause and reflect because James gives us three very specific ways to evaluate who we are becoming. He uses the term religion, which is kind of a, ugh, we don't like that word, right? <laughs> it's a term that sort of lost its meaning over time. Um, but when James talks about religion, what he's referring to here is he's referring to those that claim to love Jesus or they claim to follow Jesus or they claim to be impacted by what Jesus did on earth, those who claim that their lives are different because of Jesus. And I'm going to guess, take a quick guess, safe guess here, that that's actually most of us in this room. We would claim something like that. Okay, so we would fall under those who um, would be marked by true religion. And James lays out three marks of true religion. He's saying that if you are becoming more like Jesus, 
if you are becoming more whole and more like the person that God created you to be, then your life will be marked by three things. Bridling your tongue, caring for the poor, and remaining unstained by the world. So first, first question to assess who you are becoming. How are you using your words? We might immediately think of the way that we use our voice, right? The things that we actually say audibly. But I think James is getting at the issue of speech in a more comprehensive way. He is saying that our speech in all its forms, okay, what we say to others, what we say about others, what we write, what we text, what we post, what we say when we're frustrated, all of those things need to be bridled. It's a helpful word image, isn't it? It needs to be restrained and controlled and curbed toward holiness. He unpacks this idea of the tongue more in chapter 3. If you want to flip there, you can look. He compares the tongue to a bit in the mouth of a horse, a rudder on a boat, and a spark that leads to a wildfire. And he po- his point there is twofold, okay? He, the tongue has sort of an oversized power. Something so small doesn't normally have that much power, but the tongue does. And then his second point is that that power can very quickly lead to destruction. That is why it's so important to control it. It is easy to forget that something sm- so small has so much power and can cause so much damage. And we might actually come to the conclusion through that analogy to this idea that because bits control horses and rudders direct ships, if we can just master our tongues, we can be in control of our whole selves. And it's not actually totally wrong to assume that if you want to become a more disciplined and self-controlled person, a good place to start is with your tongue. But James challenges that conclusion when he says in chapter 3, that no human can control the tongue. And when we think about those word pictures, we realize that even though the bit does control the horse, and even though the rudder does steer the ship, the rider controls the bit, and the pilot controls the rudder. So too, there is another agency involved when we want to talk about our speech, and it's our hearts. And Jesus actually says it the most clearly. He says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, we cannot simply resolve to control our tongue. We must drill down deeper and consider our hearts. And how do we do this? We're going to come back to that. But I want to look at the next mark of true religion. The second mark of true discipleship or true true religion of becoming women and men of God is demonstrated in caring for the poor. And there are actually so many things that I appreciate about your generation. That sounds like such a 40-year-old thing to say. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Y'all, they're generous. Um, And one of them, though, is that generally speaking, you all really do care about justice and compassion. And I need to learn from you in those areas. Those are very beautiful things. But James is taking this conversation about caring for the poor in an unexpected direction. He talks about partiality. 
And he fleshes this out by telling us sort of a story about two men who walk into a party, one rich and one poor, and the host of the party immediately gives the best seat in the house to the rich man and totally ignores the poor man. At first glance, caring for the poor might sound like a difficult but a very honorable invitation. It might bring to mind like soup kitchens or community development or affordable housing. But James, again, (laughs) drills straight down to the heart level when he connects partiality to this conversation about compassion and caring for the poor. In other words, what is our heart posture towards the poor? What is our gut reaction to the needy? Because the truth is, we all tend to gravitate towards those who are like us. Those who are easy to love and easy to like. And if we are really honest, we might even admit that we tend to give more of our attention and even our allegiance to those who have social status or money or influence or popularity or good looks. We readily love when there is actually something in it for us. But James is saying that to play favorites is to deny the gospel. It's to forget that we all stand before God in the same state as sinners. And we all stand forgiven on the same foundation, Jesus. The conversation around caring for widows and orphans needs its own chapel talk or three or four or five. (laughs) But suffice it to say that as you consider who you are becoming at the beginning of the semester, take stock. How do you treat those around you? Do you demonstrate partiality? Do you love in order to get something in return? Do you favor people because of what they can give you? Do you ignore those who are awkward? Do you dismiss those who are unpopular? Do you overlook people based on their appearance or their reputation? Once again, if we are honest, we feel pretty convicted at this point, don't we? Because none of us, none of us love without partiality. We love when it is convenient and easy. We are concerned only when our own interests are at stake. So again, we're faced with this question, what do we do with our hearts? And again, we'll come back to that, but I wanna look at the third mark. So the third mark of true religion is keeping oneself unstained from the world. And I think this sentence is so interesting because James uses two very particular words, keep and unstained. And the idea of keeping yourself implies guarding or preserving your true identity. In other words, to keep yourself true to the identity as, your identity as a child of God by making sure that you are not stained by the world, which is another interesting concept. James doesn't say here that we are supposed to keep ourselves entirely separate from the world. And by world, he means those ideas and affections that are contrary to who God is, okay? He instead understands that we, are, we cannot be entirely removed from it. In fact, the mission of God would preclude that from happening, right? If we are to be accomplishing God's mission on earth to bring all nations to himself, we've got to be in the world. We can't remove ourselves from it completely. But James knows that the ideas of the world are enticing and alluring and that our proclivity is to be very much in the world and also very much of it. 
That is why true discipleship is marked by vigilance to guard ourselves from being stained by it. And how do stains happen? Stains. Think of like spilling spaghetti sauce on your shirt at lunch, okay? You can't always help the spill. No one intends to spill spaghetti sauce on your shirt. But you can prevent the stain. How do you prevent stains? You take swift and quick action, right? You wipe it off. You get some cold water involved um, so that that stain doesn't sit, set in there. You guys are like, oh, that's how cool. Like, you learned something today. Great. Um, right? You, you wipe, you get it out so that that stain does not set into the fibers of your shirt. Because once it does, once a stain, stain sets, it's really difficult to get out. In the same way, James is encouraging us to take quick action when we are enticed by the ideas of the world and to be vigilant so that we do not let sin set into the fibers of our hearts. Because friends, here's the thing. We're talking about becoming, right? We become like what we love. We become like what we worship. If we love the ideas of the world, And John kind of helpfully summarizes it as the desires of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. We will become those things. If we want to become like Jesus, if we want to be shaped more and more into wholeness and true humanity as God designed it, then we have to take sin seriously. We must guard ourselves from being stained by it. So as you reflect on who you are becoming, investigate. Are you being stained by the world? Consider the conversations you have and the places you go when you are alone. Consider how your mind wanders, the Netflix shows and movies you are inclined to watch. It's almost impossible to engage the world without coming across something contrary to the the design of God. Okay, I get that. But do we sit in it? Do we seek it out? Do we give it space to grow roots and take hold? Do we celebrate it? Or are we quick to take action so that it does not stain? And this actually brings me to the last thing I want to say, and it's probably the most important, okay? So, so far, everything I have said could be summarized as, if you want to become a better human being, then watch what you say, care for the poor, and don't love the world. Or to summarize it even further, it could be summarized as, um, if you want to become better, do better. Hear me. That is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. And it will take you nowhere other than despair. Because the reality is not a single one of us can control the tongue fully. Not a single one of us can love without partiality. And not a single one of us can keep ourselves unstained from the world consistently. But listen to what comes next. Listen to what James says in chapter 4. But God, but God gives more grace. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Did you hear that? That is the gospel in the book of James. 
A survey of true discipleship, which we just did quickly, demonstrates to us where we fail. And it prepares our hearts to receive grace. It's like you don't want to take medicine if you don't know you're sick. Right? We only take medicine when we know we're sick. And as we think about becoming, we may realize that we have really far to go. And we also realize how much help we need. This posture strips us of pride. And y'all, it invites us to exhale, exhale into grace. To exhale into grace. This is the gospel. And this is actually the key to becoming. This is the only way forward to becoming. The only way forward to wholeness is to submit to God in humility, to draw near to him by repenting, believing, obeying, and loving him. And as we do, our desires change and our priorities shift. We sort of start becoming from the inside out. Our speech starts to reflect our new hearts. Our love for others is genuine and humble. We quickly confess and we repent when we sin. In fact, sin starts to lose its appeal. But it's only when we abide in Jesus, the unblemished and spotless Lamb of God, y'all, the unstained one, that we can become who we were truly created to be. So as we begin a new semester, and as I embark on this new journey of being 40, let's take a minute to consider who we are becoming by evaluating our speech and our treatment of others and our proclivity to love the world. And as we do, I pray that it will humble us and it will drive us drive our desperate hearts straight into the arms of Jesus because that is where we find more grace. Amen? Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you have brought us to another semester. We are so grateful that you have cared for us so far, that you've provided for us, that you are leading us, and that you have promised to never leave us alone. And Lord, we are also so grateful that we find more grace because of Jesus. And that this grace is not a grace that allows us to stay who we are, but is a grace that sanctifies and changes us to become more fully human and to live life abundantly. Because that's why Jesus came. And so Lord, we pray that as we start this semester, that you would teach our hearts to love you more and to love others. Be with these students, Lord, as they are in this first day of class. Give them strength and energy and joy as they embark on the things you've called them to. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.